so this passage right here that we're going to read uh, is a text that uh, the Lord really has dealt with my heart about. Because in it, uh, as we're thinking about focusing in on, on, on giving thanks, right? Which we ought to be doing constantly. But it's kind of a national holiday um, that we want everybody in our country to be thankful. And a lot of it relates to the blessings of having a place like this to live. With all of its mess and with all of its problems, I'm going to tell you, this is still the best place to live. Right? Right? Uh, in the whole world. Okay? Uh, but we want to try to help make it better because we're here. I think, I think right? That's kind of what we want to do. Yeah, be salt and light. You know, salt in a decaying world, light in a dark world. That's what we want to be. And so there are a lot of people out celebrating Thanksgiving. They're, they're celebrating Thanksgiving. I, I don't know. Is that the right way to say that? Celebrating Thanksgiving. We celebrate the fact that we can give thanks. How about that? But how about just give thanks? So Thanksgiving is a response from us that comes from a heart of gratitude. So gratitude is the attitude that's inside. Thanksgiving is the result of Having that kind of gratitude, it causes you to do something. It causes you to say something. It causes you to act a certain way, like you're thankful. And one reason why some people aren't thankful is that they have the mistaken idea that they deserve all the stuff that they have. I realize I don't do, and starting out with the grace of God and Christ dying on the cross for my sins. If there was nothing else that ever happened in my life, that right there ought to be enough for now and all eternity. The fact that me not deserving it, you not deserving it, that God would love us enough to pay that kind of price to cover all of our wickedness, all of our sin, all of our shortcoming, and to make a, redeem us and to have a relationship with us. This right here ought to be enough that we would forever be thanking him. And we have no idea how much we have. And I think those first moments on the other side, we're going to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, because we know we didn't deserve it, and worship. See, thanksgiving and gratitude all comes into worshiping, which worshiping is all about our bowing before Him and acknowledge Him as Lord above all and, and King of kings and, and, and just, just falling down before Him and, and just to... to, to bask in the glory of who he is. And we see that happen here in this passage. So uh, in this, we're going to learn a little bit more about the power of God to heal and recreate broken, torn down, messed up lives. Yeah. It, you think that's good? I'm really working hard to get some responses out of people today. You know, I've been hugging people, slapping people in the back, shaking hands with people, picking on people. I mean, it's trying to get something going here today, I guess, any way I can. Uh, but if you think that's good, I want to say this. Just wait. There's more. Besides even seeing the miracle power of God to heal and recreate broken lives, we're also going to get a credible lesson about priorities. Yeah, and about gratitude that pours forth into thanksgiving and worship. So read this with me. Are we ready to read it finally? Okay, if you're timing the sermon, you can start now. <laughs> All that other stuff wasn't it, Wayne. He's, 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 wind your watch up there real good. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 17, verse 11, it says this, that 
On the, way to the, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And we're going to explain why that was a big deal right there. Uh, but it says, and as they went, so it didn't happen immediately, but as they were doing what he said to do, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Listen to this. Praising God with a loud voice. <laughs> and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the emphasis there is the word faith. It's also, it's also the same word we talk about. that It can be translated believe, have faith, have trust. And so the bigger thing was that happened here wasn't just in his body. It was in his heart, in his soul because of what he believed. He believed in who Jesus was. All right? So he emphasizes that right there at the end. So first of all, I want to just jump in here and take a look. Take a look at the... Um, at the setting, okay? Let's just get the setting on this. Um, the events recorded here are all part of what happened in the final months of, of before Jesus goes to the cross. He's been in Galilee, and he's zigzagging around. He's making his way down south from uh, Galilee down through parts of Samaria on down to Judea, uh, and, and he's going to end up in Jerusalem. So he's journeying toward Jerusalem, and there's just been incredible things happening. As Jesus has been teaching, and he's been working incredible miracles that show his supernatural side. It shows the power of God uh, validating who he is and what he said. It's been unmistakable. I mean, Jesus wasn't just going around like some people today claiming that, you know, they heal somebody. And it's really kind of hard to prove it, right? I mean, I want you to get this in your head. There was unmistakable evidence right in front of people's faces, stuff they had never seen before, ever, quite like this. And there's no record of it except you get all the way back in the times of Elijah and Elisha, maybe, and, be, and, and, and back beyond that to the time of Moses. So this is what's happening. Isn't it amazing, though, that some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Jews that, that, that were trying to were, you know, stop Jesus, they never really disputed this, did they? I mean, they, they tried to dispute a lot of things, but they never really disputed the miracle power of Jesus. I mean, there was no way they could deny that, nor his compassion and his mercy, especially upon those people uh, that he would have compassion and mercy and spend time with that they didn't want to be around. And, and if those people were diseased or if they were downtrodden, it had to be that it is their fault, right? It's always our fault. We, all, we live in a world we want to blame other people for everything. One of the first steps of repentance is taking ownership of the fact of this is true about me. And, and, and I, take, I take ownership about this being true about me, and I lay it at your feet, and I'm willing to turn from being in bondage to this and serving this is what it is. You're in bondage because you serve it. 
And you serve those things. And so Paul talks about this in Romans 6, about yielding ourselves to righteousness rather than yielding. It has to do with your will. You yield your will to... You, you yield your will. Boy, there's a tongue twister. You yield your will to the flesh and, and to those things or your fears or whatever they are rather than yielding to God. To walk in the Spirit. We're actually trying to do spiritual things even. We, we're doing it in the flesh. Um, so I take ownership of this. This is true about me. There is no deliverance for me except through Christ. I can only self-help myself enough because I'm already messed up. No one else can help me but so much. Only the Lord, the Creator, the Redeemer, the one who's going to be my judge is also the one who died to be my Savior. Isn't that awesome? Only He. So I, I, I take responsibility. I mean, I, I can even, you know, the devil's involved. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And the enemy is always trying to find ways in and ways to distract us. Uh, but I can't even blame the devil for everything. You know, I, I still call that the Flip Wilson theology. You know, the devil made me do it. How many remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? Oh, good, good. We've got old timers. The rest of you just have to Google it later, Flip Wilson. And he would do these different characters. And one of them that he did was Geraldine. And the devil made me do it. You know, I just loved Flip Wilson. But I find that a lot of people have Flip Wilson theology because everything that happens, the devil made me do it. And you know what? Uh, half time, the devil's sitting back looking at you and some of the things you're doing. And you're saying, the devil made me do it. And he's like, I didn't have to do anything. I mean, that was pretty much all you. Or you and your sinful nature. In fact, we sin when we are drawn away by our own desires, James tells us in James chapter 1. And as we're drawn away by our own desires, and then when that desire, lust, conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, produces death. And so I take ownership of this. I see a lot of that right here because these people were lepers. There was no, it didn't matter if you want to blame someone else. Someone else gave you this. Someone else caused this. It is what it is and you have it. It is you. And there is no hope for you except for Jesus. They heard he was coming and they went to a lot of trouble to go and find him and be around him. So as he's traveling, he's right here on the edge of Samaria. So he's right there somewhere. It doesn't tell us the name of the village, Galilee, Samaria. It's right there. But the thing you need to know about Samaria uh, is uh, it was a place that a lot of the, the Jews actually avoided in that day. Especially the scribes and the Pharisees and the uppity-up religious leaders. They, they avoided it, but not Jesus and his disciples. You notice that? It goes to a place that nobody else wanted to go. Now, if you remember... If you've been a student of the Bible, you, you'll know this, but if you're just like, this is all, like you're getting into it, you're going to find this is so exciting. There's so much stuff to learn and, and to gather so that you, you just keep building, keep building, keep building on it. But as you study this, you'll find out that Samaria was part of what used to be the northern kingdom uh, Israel. And you go way back to after Solomon, you know, you have this kingdom Israel, you know, David uh, and then Solomon and then Solomon's son Rehoboam. He didn't listen to the advice of the wiser, older men, and he followed bad advice, and he caused a, a, a real f fraction, a fracture, you might say, to happen. And there was another guy, Jeroboam, no relation. 
Uh, but hey, they led a rebellion. And so basically what happens is 10 of the tribes rebelled, and they're up north. And then the only ones that left was Judah and Benjamin in the south. And so it became known as Judea, and then you had Israel up there. So you have Judah and Israel. Uh, so that the 10 tribes up there, and Samaria became their capital. And they had a whole bunch of different kings and things like that. And, and some of the prophets went to them. And as you're reading through kings and as you're reading through uh, chronicles and all of that, it gets a little confusing because sometimes it's talking about a king and it's Judah's king. And then sometimes there's a king and it's Israel's king. Some of the prophets went to Israel. Some of the prophets went to Judah. And some of them went to both of them. It can be a little confusing. But God sent his, his prophets to warn them and to give them his words. And they didn't listen. And the, the, the ten tribes to the north rebelled against God. And uh, they uh, uh, went into captivity by the Assyrians in the year uh, seventeen, or in the year seven twenty two BC, seven twenty two BC. So the Assyrians carried them away into captivity, and like Nineveh was like one of the main cities in, in Assyria, and, and as they carried many of them away, uh, they also left some there, and then they, they brought some of their own people in and uh, populated with them. And, and one thing that the strategy I think that Satan had is I think, I think Satan knew that through this line of people that God was going to bring the deliverer, the Messiah, into the world, and he always tried to either destroy them or dilute them. Because it's through this family line. You can trace it out. You can trace it out through Abraham. Abraham's promised son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons. It's not both of them. It's one of them, Jacob, right? And then Jacob, out of all of Jacob's 12 sons, it was going to be one. God eliminates 11 twelfths of the possibilities by saying it's the tribe of Judah, named after his son Judah. And then out of that tribe of Judah, he eliminates all of the possibilities by picking one family line, the line of David, that through this line of people, the Messiah was going to come, and they kept meticulous records so that when Jesus showed up, that no one disputed that either, right? But it's like the enemy tried to enter, you know, always trying to dilute. Uh, and that's part of the strategy. If some of these, these other cultures would come in and conquer them, and they would want to kind of force them to intermarry with them, so basically you, you dissolve their culture uh, of whatever it was. And that's what happened up north. That actually happened. And so you have people then who was a mixed race. They were part Hebrew and part something else. And they were also mixed religion. If you study the history on that, uh, you find out as soon as Jeroboam got over there, as he led that rebellion, he was afraid people would want to go back to Jerusalem where the temple was. So he set up two golden calves. Sound familiar? I wonder where he got that idea. Uh, and he set up two golden calves, one in Bethel, and, uh, and it tells us in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 29, one in Bethel and one in Dan, and those became places of worship. Now, later they set Mount Gerizim as their place to worship, had their own priests, so people wouldn't go back. So what they did was they took, the, they, they took only the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they took those, and that's the only scripture that they would recognize, and they mixed it with some of the pagan beliefs that they had. That's what they did. So it's not like they totally denied God, but they mixed it. Does it sound like something that maybe goes on a lot today too? We kind of mix Scripture truth with other things. That's what they did. So it was mixed religion. In fact, 
In fact, he set one of those up in Bethel and one in Dan. In later excavations, they have found what turned into a temple, a little place of worship, where that altar was probably set. It was excavated, and we got to visit it uh, last summer in, in the northern part up there uh, in Dan. They have a big nature preserve. We got to spend time there. And uh, the Jews despised them because of all these things. But let me see if I've got a picture of that. There it is. Whoop. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for you to see that yet. Um, this thing has a mind of its own. Uh, this right here is, is, is one of the places we visited. And uh, now this was uncovered. Now some of these stones were added later. But if you look, they've kind of set this thing up. That, that wasn't there back then. Somebody built that and set it up there. Uh, but, but down here was where they think the altar was because of the dimensions. And some of these stones go back to the time of Jeroboam that you read in First Kings that this was set up and this was done. And people used that uh, in that type of worship that they had. And so it's kind of weird to be standing there looking at that. I think these stones were cut and, and, and put in there by these people who did this that I read about way back over in 1 Kings. Isn't that something? And, and, and if you look really close, you can see this is photobombed by Steve Gosley right there. And I think Mona's up there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, remember that. that. That's one of the places. And it kind of comes into the story here. So there was a lot of prejudice, both racial and religious prejudice against the Samaritans. Have you got that? Okay. All right. So let's go from talking about the Samaritans to talking about uh, leprosy and the miracle. Now, as I said, we're not told the name of the village, but he was met by 10 men. Now, news, obviously, of Jesus had spread all around by this time, and they were familiar with Jesus. They had heard stuff about Jesus. They had even heard, if you go back in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus had healed a guy that was full of leprosy. Well, folks... I'm going to explain a little bit more about it here in just a second, but that just didn't happen. But they had heard undeniable proof that, this, that it had happened. Now, if you're a leper and you think you have no hope and you're going to die one of the most miserable, horrible, that you basically become a monster. I'm, I'm not a monster like, ah, but I mean, you, you look hideous. Okay? It's horrible. People would scream when they see you. Um. That all of a sudden there's hope. But they're hearing more than that. They're hearing more that, that this may be the one. This may be the one that even the Samaritan woman at the well had heard about the Messiah. The, the one that's supposed to come. He's going to set everything straight. Uh, maybe there's a spark of faith there. So listen to me. I don't know whether they came out of just desperation. Which you would be desperate enough to try anything, wouldn't you? Or whether, whether they, they had the seeds of faith or what, but they knew about Jesus and they made it a point to find him. And it says that they stood afar off. They approached him, but it says they stood far off. Now, the reason is why they were lepers, right? It's according to the law. Whether you're in, in Judea or whether you're in Galilee or Samaria, you got laws that apply to people with leprosy. I want to tell you, you just can't probably, we probably can't identify with the fear that they had of this. I mean, it would have been worse than what we had in the beginning before we knew stuff about COVID. It would have been like AIDS in 1983 or 4, 83 or 93 or 4, you know, when it started. Uh, uh, people were just fear or, or something like that. I mean, it was a fear. It was incurable. The, the real, true leprosy uh, was incurable. And, and so uh, they had to stand afar off. In fact, the rule was you could only get so close to people and you had to clap your hands and let them know you were unclean. You had to shout unclean, unclean. You couldn't go near people. That means if you had leprosy, you couldn't be at home. You couldn't, you couldn't be with your kids. Are you, are you getting this? Uh, I think a lot of times we talk about, oh, leprosy. Think about it. 
You, if you were a husband, you couldn't be with your wife. You, you couldn't have hugs. You couldn't have physical contact with another human being if you had leprosy. So their lives were wrecked, plus the physical things that happened with this disease. And so many times, though, lepers would be colonized, you know, together uh, in a group uh, like these guys. And so they come to Jesus, and, and they lifted up their voices. Are you following me through this? They lifted up their voices asking Jesus to have mercy on them. Have mercy. Like, he can have mercy on us and give us something Mercy, give me something that I don't deserve and can't earn for myself. They knew their situation was hopeless. They knew there was nothing the doctors could do. They knew there was nothing that they could do. Only you could give us this undeserved favor. Only you, only you could deliver us from this sentence and have mercy on us. Only you could do that, Jesus. And so they're crying out to him. Now, like I said, it doesn't tell us how much of this was wishful thinking or real faith. I think we see at least with one, there's real faith going to come out. They stood at the distance, and, and as they cried out, he saw them. All right? Did you notice they called him Master? They said this. They said, Jesus, Master. Now, that is a word that literally means one in authority, one who is over things. Now, if you read the Old King James, you can get a little confused here because the Old King James translates the word that would be translated teacher or rabbi as master. And then it also translates this word as master. It translates the word for teacher or rabbi as master sometimes, and sometimes it translates it as rabbi sometimes. Uh, But this is a little more consistent here. But this is the actual word that means master, who is over something. Uh, a commander over things. It recognition on their part of superior power or supernatural power. As they, but maybe he was also approachable. So even though they believed he was the master, the one in authority, they still approached him and, and, and had heard enough about him to know that he was approachable, even by lepers, even though they stood a little ways off. They somehow had the idea that he also had the power over nature and over disease to heal them. But also that maybe he's the type that listens to people who cry out for mercy. Hmm? So for a true leper, the situation was tragic and hopeless. A true leper. Now I say that because we've been able to identify in our day the exact disease of real leprosy. But in those days, they didn't have all the technology that we have. So about any skin lesion, infection, or problem would be called leprosy. But they didn't know whether it was the bad leprosy or whether it was just something else. So time would tell. If it wasn't the real leprosy that I'm going to explain in just a second, uh, then you would get better. And, but, but they didn't know at first, so you had to separate. You had to leave home. You had to go out in these areas where, where you could be, and you had to stay away from it. You were quarantined. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how you made it. But, but if this began to clear up, and, and, and not knowing for sure whether it was the, the permanent kind or some other skin thing, and they all lumped it together, um, you had to kind of stay away from the other lepers because you didn't know, right? Can you imagine how horrible of a life that was? If it did, if it was something that cleared up, you had to go, you couldn't just go home. I'm, well, look at me. You had to go to the priest. You didn't go to the doctor. It was a priest that did this, and they would examine you, and they would do it, and they'd be like, okay, 
you're okay to go back home and resume life. So, uh, so, so that was a little bit about leprosy and, and how of a broad term that it was. Uh, but, but now, here's the thing. True leprosy, we found out a whole lot more about this disease nowadays. Um, because uh, if you read in the Old Testament, if, you, like if you're reading through the Bible and you get to Leviticus 13 and 14, and whew, that's some tough reading there, man, man. You know what I'm saying? But, and, and it seems like, boy, this is boring, this is tough. But it's all there for a purpose and for a reason. Even when you're in numbers and it's talking about so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it's kind of like I might speed read through some of that. But it's there because all of those genealogies are very important by pinpointing things that are going to happen later on. And it's all documented right there in the Bible, okay? But this is a part that seems like kind of... And they had all these rules about all these different skin rashes and what color they were and all of that. Because, like I said, they didn't know for sure whether it was the bad kind or just a a, a skin thing that would come and go away. So they all were treated the same at first. By the way, if you read there, it also talks about your house and your building and clothes can get leprosy. Have you ever read that? Yeah, see, see, God was protecting his people because what that was is mold and mildew. And now we all know, finally, how dangerous black mold can be. See, God was, all these things were for health and protection and things like that. Um, so there were all of these, these rules and these laws there now, and it was to protect them. Now, but this is to protect them from the disease that I'm going to explain now that we now call leprosy. Uh, modern medical science has documented that it has existed from ancient times. Even in some mummified remains, they have found evidence of the bacterium that caused it. The causative agent of leprosy was discovered by... Are you ready for this? I'm going to get a little technical. Okay, hang, hang in there. Come on. This is good stuff, though, when we get done. By G.H.A. Hansen. In Norway in 1873, he identified the bacterium, making it one of the very first to be identified as causing disease in humans. Now it's called Hansen's disease. So what they called real leprosy then, we call Hansen's disease now, named after the guy who discovered it. It's better to be, have it named after you from discovering it than from having it, right? I'll never forget, you know, I've told you guys, I know Seth did an amazing job a couple of weeks ago preaching, but man, Seth used to wear me out with questions and stuff when he was a little guy. Things like that. And, and one of y'all bought him a Guinness's Book of World Records, you know, that year we went to Nationals in Detroit in like 99, 2000, whenever that was. And it's like, Dad, do you, you know who has the longest mustache? Dad, do you know who the fattest person to ride a motorcycle is? Dad, do you, you know. And he was this constant. It just drove me nuts. But I remember he was always into sports and always into uh, 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 baseball and all of that. And he started studying about all of these characters and all these old players. And, and he's like, Dad, what did... What did Luke Gehrig die from? And I said, Luke Gehrig's disease. And I looked at him, and he's like, what are the odds of that? You know, I'm like, no, 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 it was named after him. It was named after him. And I always think about that. It was, but Hansen's disease is this. It's actually, yes, there are skin lesions and things that happen with the skin. But thanks to Dr. Paul Brand in more in modern times who studied this and devoted his life to it, Dr. Brand and Philip Yancey have written some books on this that are very powerful. It's a disease that attacks the nerves and causes horrible lesions all over the body. It was first thought to be a disease that just ate a person up because people had leprosy. What happened is you lose feeling and you get these lesions. And, and see, like when you scratch something and it gets raw, it gets sore, so you leave it alone. But if the nerves are dead, you don't feel it and you just keep clawing your flesh away. 
That's what happens with real leprosy. Your fingers lose their feeling and you get sores on them. You injure them. You break them and you can't feel it. So you just keep tearing them up. And so at first they thought it was a disease that just ate people because here's what I want you to see when you're seeing leprosy in the Bible. For many of them, it was real leprosy, not just a skin infection. They had the skin infections, but they would lose ears. They would lose noses. Many times their eyes would be gouged out or just gone. They'd just dry up. They would lose fingers. They would lose extremities. So when you read that Jesus healed someone who was a leper, what is it saying? It's saying that many times when he did this, he healed them. Not only were the sores gone, but ears that were gone, eyes that were gone, noses that were gone, fingers that were gone suddenly appeared. There wasn't like, well, I feel better. It was like a visible thing who people who knew them and saw them documented that this happened. So when Jesus healed the leprosy, there were fingers. Now, I've got a few graphic pictures, and I accidentally showed you one already. Of In modern times, just a couple. There's a lot worse. Just, just a couple of easy ones here, okay? This is people who have Hansen's disease in our modern times. So um, here's one. And you can see it's affecting the whole face. The nose is almost gone. And if you need to look away, you can look away. But that's terrible. And this, is, this, this would be the type of change that you would visibly see as evidence of healing. Um, And here's another one. Look at those hands and the face. This is what happens with Hansen's disease. And we even have ability to treat it. There's some areas of the world that need help with this and so forth. Uh, But but this is what can... Now, we can treat it nowadays and and slow it down and and stop that from happening. And that day, they couldn't. So here's what I'm trying to say is, is that when Jesus heals the leper, there is irrefutable, (laughs) documentable proof of something supernatural happening. And this is probably what's happening here with these people. And you can see why people were so uh, frightened by it. They were so disfigured. And it says that Jesus just spoke the word. See, people just didn't get over this kind of disease. They didn't just get better. But Jesus stepped up, and there were some times he touched someone. And if you touched a leper, that made you unclean. Or, Or people were just terrified to get close enough to him. Uh, they knew it was contagious, but they didn't understand why. But Jesus went to him, and Jesus touched those who were the untouchables. The thing about it, why Jesus didn't become unclean, because when Jesus touched the leper, he or she wasn't a leper anymore. It's powerful. He speaks the word. In fact, he didn't even say be healed. He didn't even say it. He just said, go show yourselves to the priest. Why? Well, before any of them would go back home. Now, understand... With leprosy, they couldn't go into the temple. But they would have to go, and they would have to contact a priest, certain ones who did this, and have an appointment. And they would have to be checked out by the priest and pronounced clean. Then they could go home. So think about the excitement, then, of going home. Huh? So he just said, go show yourself to the priest. Well, that was what had to happen if you're healed. He tells them to do it before he does it. That makes sense? Go show yourself to the priest. Because it's evidently, in all of the however forms of leprosy they had, they hear what Jesus says, and there's at least enough faith in Jesus and who he is and what he says that they turned and they, they started going to the direction they needed to go. And it says, as they went. Did you catch that? It didn't happen before they turned. It didn't happen while they were turning. It was as they went. I don't know how far along they got. Maybe it was just a little bit, a few steps down the road, and all of a sudden things started changing. 
Can you imagine the excitement? <laughs> can you imagine the new life you feel? And can you imagine, like, I can't wait to get to the priest so I can get okay. I can get back home and I can pick up my kids. I can hug my wife, right? Think about it. So there was all of that excitement. So Jesus just speaks the word. And, and, and as they're getting ready to go back, uh, which, by the way, by the way, let me just pause here for a second. Uh, uh, many times in the Bible, leprosy is, is uh, used figuratively to describe sin and how it affects the soul. Are you following that? How, how sin affects our souls and destroys and how God can heal and restore so, so as they turn, yeah, they're, they're healed and they're, they're cleansed as they're going. Reminds me of Naaman in the Old Testament, remember? Who had this horrible thing of leprosy. And he had found, uh, remember, Elisha. And uh, Elisha told him to go dip in the Jordan River like seven times. And, and it like ticked him off. And he's like, well, you know, man, uh, the rivers where we're at is cleaner than that. And he's got all these problems. And he's going to ask me to go dip in their river seven times. Not, not one time, but seven times. And, you know, he's all upset. And his servant said, hey, if he'd asked you to do some crazy thing, you would have done it. But why not do this? And I don't know if it didn't happen until the very last time or what. But when he got done with seven times, he came up cleansed and then Naaman went back he went back to Syria proclaiming Jehovah God is the true God and 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 giving him glory uh, but it kind of reminds me of that story that's second Kings 5 you can read it later but just like that these men were healed so don't read past that too quickly as I've just explained to you many times what would be involved in someone with leprosy being healed it wasn't just like a rash went away so you understand that now and the response. There may have been teeth that were gone that came back. I don't know. But let's look then at the response. Um, we got way off track there. Salvation is illustrated. Just as we know our condition, we know that we have it. We're not, doesn't matter if we want to blame other people and what they did to us, we have it. There's only one hope for us, and that's Jesus. We go to Jesus and we do what he says because we have faith in him. And so there's a great illustration there. There was only one who could change. But then after this happened, only one of them came back. Only one returned. And so the very big number one priority is he wants to give glory to the one who delivered him. Delivered him. That's what salvation is. It's deliverance. And he's con- he delivered me from my sins and he continues to deliver me from myself every day. Deliverance, that's salvation. He came back to Jesus. And, um, I mean, it would have been easy to get, up and all, get caught up in all the implications of what just happened. Not only was a deadly, torturous, horrible disease gone, uh, but, but they could go home to their wives, their jobs, and all that stuff. It should have been so exciting. But one of them stopped right where he was, and he turned around. And he, and, 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 um, he, he came back. Look at it. It says he, he came back. He turned back. Look at this. Praising God with a loud voice. And reading that in the original language, it is so emphatic. Mega doxa. I mean, it was mega praise and glory to God. A loud 
voice. He's shouting the glory down, brother, as he's coming back to Jesus. Everybody's hearing it. You can't deny You're not going to miss what's going on here. People that were so good ways off, our our attention are drawn over here because this guy who's just shouting, as we say, shouting the glory down. That is where somebody really feels it is overwhelmed and they're giving praise to God and then other people begin to feel it too because of the reaction on this person. And it's like, wow. So, so, So it's like the glory of God is always there, but now we're bringing it bringing it here where we're all dealing with it we're all seeing it and he's glorifying God he doesn't wait till he gets to Jesus just well thank you thank you now he wasn't from the Ozarks so he probably didn't say it like that he is shouting praise to God that you can't imagine he's screaming at the top of his voice and then he falls at Jesus's feet well no one but God is allowed to be worshipped right remember in Revelation even the even the angel that John was speaking to when John fell down, he said, hey, get up. I'm a fellow servant, man. Worship God, right? But he falls at Jesus. He worships Jesus. He sees him as, as the master. He sees him as Lord, and he falls at his feet. And um, he gives him glory. So here's the amazing thing. This guy, the punchline comes. He wasn't one of the guys on the inside. He was a guy from the outside. He tells us, oh, by the way, this guy was a Samaritan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They weren't the ones that got the best teaching. They weren't the ones that got raised in the best synagogues, right? He didn't grow up with all the good info like some of us do. In fact, a lot of the folks that grew up in the good homes learning the scriptures and all of that, they got so stuck on their own selves and their own religion that they missed the deliverer, the savior when he came. But this guy was a Samaritan and he just believed. And he points it. This almost is like not just a story, but a parable, right? And this one who was an outsider was the only one who got it mm-hmm. At, in this group. He's the only one who got it. And Jesus draws attention to that. I mean, this is a guy that wasn't allowed to go into the temple. And kneel down and worship in Jerusalem. Because he was a Samaritan. But here he is in the very presence of God. I mean, it's like he is kneeling at the real holy of holies right now. So the series of questions Jesus asks, it it, it addresses those who have opportunity but reject him. Uh, But after a bit, Jesus told the man to get up and go home. Get up. Go on. Priority. You did first thing first, right? First thing first. Thanksgiving. His heart was so filled with gratitude, he couldn't do anything else. I wonder why our hearts aren't more filled with gratitude today. All we can think about is what we don't have or what other people have. Instead of focusing on how God has given us mercy and grace. Grace is where he gives us what we don't deserve and mercy is he doesn't give us what we really do deserve. And so by asking for mercy, they knew they deserved to be just cursed and sinned and, and sin and die. We deserve that. But in His mercy, He gives us what we don't deserve, salvation and deliverance and wholeness, healing. He gives us His grace. Not just do we not get what we deserve, but we get the riches of Christ, the riches of glory, the riches of God in Jesus Christ. You just can't get better than that. So uh, it was more than just physical. 
It was more than just physical because um, uh, it says, Jesus said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith, your belief in me has made you. And the word well there doesn't just mean heal. It means delivered. Um, it's a word that means, can be mean saved. Your faith has delivered you. He draws attention not just to the body and what had happened, but to the heart and what he was believing. That's the main point. That'd be the main point right there. Because what happens on the inside is more important than what's going on on the outside. You can be healed. Now, it doesn't say that the others lost their healing. They were healed. I mean, they went back to the priest. They got checked out. They went home. They probably told people about Jesus. But, but, but I'm telling you, even though they were also healed, they didn't get what this guy got. They missed out on something. I don't want to miss out on anything. How about you? I want to fall at his feet. I want that. I want to. I want to. There may be times I need to shout the glory down. I need to fall at his feet. Um, so uh, this guy got something even greater. All right, let's apply it and wrap it up. God's not just a healer, but he's also a redeemer, a redeemer and a savior. Your faith has delivered you. He came to deliver us. He, he will heal us, but he is our redeemer. He paid the, the only one who paid the price for our sins on the cross. Our Savior. Save us from what? Save us from sin. Save us from hell. Save us from ourselves. I need that. We need more than just the physical. We need, and, and material help, you know, because there's times we're in trouble there too. And following his plan can help us get on our feet there too. But what I really need is something to happen in here that flows outward, right? That's where gratitude becomes thanksgiving. We need reconciliation with God more than anything else this morning. So here's what we need to do. I need to have a relationship with God. And Christ has made that possible. You don't have to jump through my hoops <laughs> or any of that. What you need to do is, like this guy, come believing in Jesus and fall at his feet, trusting him completely. So we need to turn and run to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's what we're asking you to do. <sighs> I'll tell you, sometimes we just got to slow down and, and think about this. I mean, as, as your pastor who's supposed to be like a shepherd, you know, and some, uh, we can get so busy doing stuff for Jesus that we're maybe not even listening when he says, come here. Come here. Come here and just fall at my feet and worship me as Lord and Savior. Sometimes we just need it. So, so you're a believer, you're saved, but some struggles have come in. And the very first thing you got to do is instead of just trying to figure it out, is just come, run to Jesus. <laughs> Have mercy on me. Guess what? He will. <laughs> he will. And give God the glory. It's all about Him, not us. And that's what I pray. We've seen God do some amazing deliverance this week. And I pray that the Lord will do that to bless and to move in someone's life, but also that we may just give Him the glory. Draw attention to yourself, God. Glorify God and worship as I bow. That's part of that. The word worship in its root form just really means to, to prostitute. Prostrate yourself at his feet.
to just fall before him, to bow. There's sometimes I feel so overwhelmed at the awesomeness of God. And he's so high, I must just, I need to go low. I just, I just, I just want to bow before him. Sometimes that, that may be, how long has it been since you just stopped all your stuff and just bowed before him? And worship him. And your heart of gratitude just all of a sudden begins to overflow because as bad as you've got it, you realize how good you have it. And that all the bad stuff is just super temporary here and we ain't seen nothing yet. And we just get such a heart of gratitude that it spills over into thanksgiving. And we begin to thank him even in the storms and even in the trials. We can thank him. And he is glorified and he is worshiped and others see this and they're drawn to him. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, help us to come to you and to worship you.